Welcome to Mandatory Reshoots, the podcast where we discuss movies. I'm Connor Dempsey, broadcasting from Seattle, Washington. Today we're short a co-host, but in his stead I am joined by co-hosts from Chicago, one-time physics guru, two-time Mean Jesus Award recipient, and a man who once called my pizza consumption habits deeply troubling, Eric Sweeney. Hello, hello, thank you. Today on the podcast, we're previewing our most anticipated movies of 2018. But before we get to that, it's time for everyone's least favorite part of the podcast, the moment where Eric tries to name the Week in Culture segment. This will be his third unsuccessful attempt to give it some permanence. Eric excels at a great number of things, but so far, success has eluded him with this particular task, each subsequent name more questionable than the last. But perhaps he will prove us wrong and break the curse this week. So, Eric, what is the name for the culture segment this week? Well, that's a heck of a lead in there. You know, I've been toying with some things. We are actually going to record something else tonight, uh, and I had something really good for that. Okay. But we, we've changed here. We're doing most anticipated. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I don't really have anything. So right. I'll I say, put you on uh, the spot. hey. Yes, yeah, so uh, I'll go with um, Sam, where are you and what are you watching? Okay, wow, that that's your best yet. So putting you on the spot <laughs> seems to be the way to really coax good material out of you. I like it. Sam, where are you and what are you watching? Even though Sam's opinion will not be included in this segment. But as Eric mentioned, we were supposed to do RoboCop today. Sam got pulled away and we uh, hope to do that later this weekend so be on the lookout for our robocop retro review but uh for now let's dive into sam what are you watching eric what are you watching that sam's watching <laughs> uh well you know what not much i don't think uh i'm watching anything on sam's watching here here's what i'm watching though oh, okay uh, uh ncaa basketball doesn't really apply here but that is the only thing i've really been watching since it's march, march madness and that is uh, my favorite time of the year. Um, I'm still watching uh, The Wire. I'm in season three. I think maybe we should do a uh, maybe a retro review of The Wire once we're done with uh, the rewatch and the reading of the book. Uh, have you started the book yet? I finished the book. I'm on season one of my rewatch following the book. So yes. Okay. How was the book? Uh, fantastic. I loved it. I, I think it's. I know you're deep into your rewatch, and our we're doing it inverse of each other. But I would encourage you to read it soon. Yeah, I'm, I'm planning to read it right when I'm done with the rewatch, and hopefully I can turn that out here pretty soon. And then uh, the only thing I was going to mention is Wormwood. I don't know if I've talked about this yet. Wormwood? Wormwood. I don't know if I've talked about it yet. What, but it's the, what is that? It's, is that a show? A food? It is a show. It's a show on Netflix. It's also the name of a star, I believe, where it, it gets its name. It's a it's a documentary. It's Errol Morris. It's a documentary, you know, drama thing. He does this a lot of reenactments with. Yeah, a he lot did of, that in the Thin Blue Line. He loves reenactments. Yes. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen any of his other stuff. I've, I know of a Thin Blue Line. Oh, really? Because how important it is. But I've just never gotten around to watching it. And it, that's like the, the first like crime documentary, right? It, well, it's not the first, but it, well, it yeah. exonerated a guy off death row. So it's it's maybe the most important crime documentary in, in that regard, in the sense that it exposed a lot of details of that particular case that were overlooked uh, same as you know making a murderer so a lot yeah. of those modern crime documentaries are beholden to the thin blue line in terms of what it did so errol morris kind of paved the way for important uh subject matter like that gotcha so wormwood is a six-part docudrama miniseries on netflix it was released in december i watched a couple of them like it's really interesting 
Uh, so here's the little synopsis. Wormwood is told through Eric Olson, the son of Frank Olson, an American biological warfare scientist and CIA employee who died under mysterious circumstances in 1953. What? Uh, yes. And it's uh, kind of like the son's, it's about the son's journey trying to find out what happened. And it goes pretty deep into like CIA and their covert operations and messing with LSD and other drugs. And it's just, it's really interesting. But it, uh, as far as reenactments, it starts Peter Sarsgaard, Molly Parker, uh, Tim Blake Nelson, Jimmy Simpson, Bob Balaban. And so it's kind of fun to go back and forth. The, the, the son, who's now like 70, is kind of a goofy guy, but he's, it's good to listen to, like the, you know, his reasons and, and his comments. Um, and then at the same time, all the actors and, and the reenactments are really well done. Um, so yeah, I, I would, I'm only on episode four of six, uh, but I'd recommend checking that out for sure. Yeah, that sounds interesting. I knew nothing about it, but I'm suddenly interested in it. Uh, I'll have to track that down. You said Netflix? It's on uh, Netflix. Yep. It's called Wormwood. Okay, cool. What else uh, you got on that, your list? That's it for me. I'll save a couple for the next episode. Okay. Sounds good. I got Jessica Jones season two. Uh, Liz and I finished watching that a couple of days ago. Uh, I don't know if you've watched any of the Marvel television series on Netflix. Have you? I've watched them all except for this new season two and The Punisher. I never watched The Punisher. Oh, okay. Yeah, I like Jessica Jones season two. I don't think it's quite as sharp as the first season, which had a really good antagonist and a really nice setup and tone. But I, I did like a lot about Jessica Jones season two. I think the quality level is still there. I think only recently I noticed how much of the show's structural DNA is, is owed to Veronica Mars, especially in the second season. Oh. Um, I guess I never noticed because it's a similar-ish, similar noirish show that features a snarky female PI with demons uh, in the past. So I really kind of got that vibe in the second season. I mean, Kristen Ritter also not got her start, but I know that was one of her first big roles was on Veronica Mars too. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it's kind of hard to ignore that. But yeah, it continues to be a really solid show. The antagonist is not as strong. It's it's a little bit hard to kind of get into the antagonist in the second season without kind of spoiling some things. So I'll say it's not quite as, as sharp or as clear of an antagonist as, as um, season one's, um, not Killmonger, what was his name? Uh, David Tennant's character, who has a name like yeah. Killmonger, like something face, demon face, hell, <laughs> Hellboy. Okay, Killgrave. So, Killgrave, Killmonger, Killgrave. It's it's halfway there. Yeah, so not quite as sharp as Killgrave in season one, but a really solid entry. Uh, other than that, uh, I watched uh, The Wire's first season after reading the book, and that's consistently good. I oh, I have a, a movie that I think might be a little little bit of a controversial opinion, but before you you stone me, hear me out. I watched the the new Jumanji movie, and you know what? Better than I expected. Not as as terrible as you'd think. Have you seen it yet? I'm going to add one more thing to what I'm watching. I saw Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. And yes, it actually is surprisingly good. I kind of heard that it's actually pretty good. It's made a ton of money. Yeah. Um, and yeah, anything, it was. Though. Yeah, but I mean, if people are like, it's still in the top five of box office, you know, eight months, 12 months later, something ridiculous. It's been yeah, making. Yeah, but wasn't the greatest showman too in terms of discussions of True. last week? True, but I mean, at least this one had like good, better reviews. But yeah, I was I was surprised. I mean, it uh, it, it was pretty funny. Like I, I liked it. 
yeah, I, I thought the I thought Jack Black was amazing in it. Yeah. Um, and I love Karen Gillan too. She's amazing. Yeah, she's great. All four of the grown up leads in it are great, especially Karen Gillan and Jack Black. I, I think I like Jack Black maybe every fifth movie, and this was that fifth movie for me where <laughs> I was just like, All right, this is like what I'd like to see out of you more. Uh, I don't know if I've uh, I don't know if I've seen Kevin Hart in any I don't think I've only seen him in his movies, but I thought he was pretty like he was pretty good in this. Like it wasn't uh, too bad. I think generally I kind of find him a little annoying, but yeah, uh, like he was he was pretty good. No, I, I think this movie really knew how to play to each performer's strengths. The Rock is reliably likable. Karen Gillan, everything I've seen her in, she's been great, but I didn't know if she had comedy chops, and I think she really killed it in, in that regard because she she could clearly do the stunt and action work straight off of uh you know guardians of the galaxy but whether or not she could actually keep up with the comedic turns of her co-actors i'd say she you know she was there or beyond them every every beat of the movie right i think even the rock was pretty good too because he was playing you know he's a scared kid in a, a big huge body and i thought there was a few times where he did a pretty good job like portraying that yeah yeah for sure so you know what I had really low expectations for it. It's not mind-blowing, but it's absolutely watchable, especially in the middle when you have the adult leads in the forefront. So give it a shot if if it's on a streaming service for free or if you're on an airplane. Uh, I don't think you'll, you'll yeah, be I think disappointed. It's, I, think it's, I think it's above I think it's above airplane. Really? Okay. Airplane I think it I think it's a little bit better. Like it's a probably good movie to watch with other people too yeah airplane's like, uh, probably my lowest recommendation tier like watch yeah. it on an airplane you won't have wasted your time then maybe just above that watch while you're eating or doing laundry and then after that tier you get into like you know sit down and you know the tiers after that are, are serious recommendations but these are kind of my casual recommendation tiers yeah okay uh yeah i'd say that's all i got for sam what you watching are week in culture segment all right well why don't we move on to the actual meat of the episode which is our most anticipated movies of 2018 we, we made this list earlier in the year so some of these movies have been released and therefore we won't profile them for redundancy's sake i have to admit one or two that we had on the list have come out and have been awful uh we had yep. mute on our list uh the duncan jones netflix sci-fi movie which neither of us have watched, but has been reviewed really poorly. So already that one, not quite a prophetic choice on our part, even though on paper, you know, it sounded like it could be good. Yeah, I started it. I just haven't uh, gotten around to like, finishing it. It was fine to start, but I've only watched like the first 20 minutes. Yeah, I made it five minutes in and then I was doing laundry and I forgot what happened. So that's not a great <laughs> sign, but uh, still need to give it a fair shot before we, we kind of just fall in with popular thought eric why don't you start us off all right the first movie on my list is the death of stalin which uh just actually has come out uh so you can check it out now yeah. uh, um i don't yeah i think it's just in theaters it's a uh comedy political satire comedy by Ar armando Iannucci, who is the guy behind uh the british show the thick of it as well as the kind of sequel movie um in the loop uh, which was hilarious, and he's also started Veep, Veep yeah. on HBO, and he's since left that show, I think, to go make this movie, um, but I've liked all his stuff, and the cast is awesome. It's Steve Buscemi, Patty Considine, uh, I don't know if that's his name, yeah. Rupert Freen, Jason Isaacs, Michael Palin, Jeffrey Tambor, 
it looks pretty cool. It's just like uh, it takes place in Russia in what I'm guessing is the 50s or 60s, whatever Stalin died. I don't even know when he died. And it's just kind of a comedy of what people, what, you know, what happens when that, when he died and how, how uh, they handled it. I'm sure it's uh, not at all true, but it's, uh, it, the trailers look pretty funny. So I'm looking forward to watching that. Nice. So on my list is Apostle, which is a movie I don't know a ton about, but it's directed by Gareth Evans, who is the Welsh director of the Raid movies. Have you seen any of the Raid movies? Uh, I have, yes. They are pretty enjoyable. Yeah, so that right there is enough to have my interest peaked. It stars Dan Stevens, who is great in uh, Legion and pretty much everything he's been in. So another solid component to the movie. And it's also got Michael Sheen, and Lucy Boynton from Sing Street, which is a movie I really like. Um, but supposedly it's about a cult that kidnaps a man's sister and he goes looking for her. So it sounds like it's kind of going to be a Western revenge type movie. And I assume Dan Stevens plays the brother who's looking for his sister. And I assume that Michael Sheen plays the cult leader just because he can play creeps pretty well. So very scarce details known about this movie, but all those elements line up really well. Yeah, that sounds uh, really interesting. I had not heard of it, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, the next movie on my list is Solo, a Star Wars story. Uh, that is the next standalone Star Wars film coming out. Uh, are you focused on... really interested in this, or are you, you know, you feel obligated to be interested in this? It's on my most anticipated list, Connor. So, yes, I am anticipating it uh, because I think I will like it. So, it's a film, uh, Star Wars standalone film uh, centered on Han Solo. It takes place, you know, 30 years before, the, I don't know, actually, I don't know how long ago, but before the first original Star Wars movie. Kind of see how he became a smuggler, I'm guessing. Um, I love the cast um, Woody Harrelson, Amelia Clark, Donald Glover, Andy Newton. Paul Bettany, uh, although he replaced Michael K. Williams, yeah, which that was a bummer. Awesome to see. Um, and then Han Solo is played by Alden Ehrenreich. Ehrenreich. Um, so the, the everything on the paper, anything you read about it, I wouldn't want to see this movie. The, just the idea of this movie, I don't like that it exists. But then they hired uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who take horrible ideas for movies and make them into really good movies. Yeah. Uh, so then I was hopeful again. But then until they were uh, fired, and then they were fired and uh, replaced by Ron Howard, who's like a serviceable director, I think. Like I think he makes some good movies, he makes some not so good movies, but they're at least like well done, I think, and like look decent. Um, but it's not nothing to. Get, he's not a name that you get excited about. Exactly, I think that's um, the perfect description of Ron Howard. Like serviceable, competent. Uh, at times good or maybe even great, but often no one you get excited about. Right. So uh, that all the all the um, behind the scenes drama that was disconcerting and then or concerning. I don't know what word to use there, but it wasn't good. Um, and then there's like rumors of like Alden Ehrenreich having to get like an acting coach because he was doing something weird with how he was portraying Han Solo. I was going to say, that to me is the most troubling aspect, is that the, it does have a great cast, but the cast doesn't mean anything if Alden Ehrlich sucks. Like, if he sucks, then it, it almost doesn't matter. If the core of the movie is unlikable, it's going to be really hard for them to make up for, for his lacking. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. He could totally mess it up. Uh, so then, then the trailer came out, and I uh, got more interested in it. I thought it looked really great. 
um, which kind of surprised me. Like the cinematography of it was really well done. Uh, the Han Solo guy seemed all right. Uh, so it was nothing horrible. Yeah, but that voice, his voice sounds weird. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll see. But um, I, I'm still like looking forward to it. They, you know, they've had three movies now come out uh, since they took over from Lucas, and I've liked them all. So I have faith still. Like even Rogue One had some behind the scenes stuff that changed. Um, and that I think was probably for the better. So that's um, true. That's true. Good point. So I, you know, I, I think it comes with the territory with Star Wars and Disney that any news is big news. But you know, I I think they're making these changes for a reason. Um, but you know, we'll see. So I'm still looking forward to it. So that's uh, Han Solo, uh, or Solo: A Star Wars Story, which I don't like that name either. <laughs> <laughs> that comes out May 25th. Oh so wow! That's... Okay, right around the corner. All right, another movie I have on my list is a movie called Hold the Dark. It's uh, Jeremy Saunier's new movie of Green Room and Blue Ruin fame. plot of it is essentially these kids in Alaska in this remote village are attacked by wolves, and this wolf expert is called in to investigate, and uh, Jeffrey Wright plays the wolf expert. So, I mean, just based on the fact that it's Jeremy Saunier, I, I don't know what you think of Blue Ruin and Green Room, Eric. Uh, I know Sam had mentioned he was a fan, and, and I am also. But but that uh, alone is enough to get me excited. He, he really has demonstrated a great handle on tension in films, which I think is rare because some people are completely inept at creating and sustaining tension. And when you see it, or when you see someone really handle it well, like uh, Denis Villeneuve in Sicario or Jeremy Saunier in Green Room, it really sticks out as someone you'd like to follow career-wise. Have you seen his movies, Eric? Yeah, actually, I think uh, I didn't get around to finishing Blue Ruin, but I liked what I saw. Just one of those things that I stopped watching for whatever reason, never went back, but I liked it and I love Green Room a lot. So I'm looking forward to this. I'm excited about that. However, Hold the Dark is based on a book written by uh, William Giraldi, and I have read it, and I hated the book. Like, really (laughs) disliked it. So I'm curious to see what happens. I think it's really good material for Saunier. It's a very dark, kind of heart of darkness book. It has some Cormac McCarthy similarities, but it's just so violent. And I know his movies are violent, so it's it's a very odd criticism or knock against uh, against the book. But when you're when you're forced to read this kind of gratuitous violence that just constantly happens, it becomes a little exhausting. But it's entirely possible that if I read like a novelization of Green Room, this is how it would read. So it's possible that this is a movie that I will like a lot more than the book, which is rare. So that's my only concern about the movie is that I'm not a fan of the source material. Well written, but just exhausting to read. Nice. Uh, that's. Um, did you did you mention that it's written by Macon Blair? Oh, the, I, no, I did not. Yeah, frequent collaborator Macon Blair, who I believe has a role in this movie. Is oh, yeah, he does. Yep. So yeah, I, I still have high hopes for the movie. Just not a fan of the book, I, I have to admit. Like, really, really good prose in the book. The guy's a good writer, just not for me. Cool. And that's uh, Hold the Dark. It comes out on June 1st. On Correct, Netflix. yeah. All right, so I'll just go with uh, Avengers Infinity War, which, I don't know, it's going to be awesome. It looks, it's basically a movie that's like 10 years in the making. And uh, I love all the Marvel movies. 
Um, all I mean, of them? I don't. Okay, I don't love all the Marvel movies, but it. Uh, <laughs> you know, I I I like them, and I feel like they haven't made a bad one in a while. So I like I've liked them all. Um, but this this brings together like every single superhero ever uh, that's ever been in the MCU, and I don't know how they're gonna fit everyone in. I guess the movie is uh, two and a half hours long. What's the budget? Um, but, Do you know? Uh, they probably haven't announced, but I'm sure it's like at least 200 million. It's got to um, be a quarter of a billion dollars. I'd say 250. There's just no way they're getting away without paying that much money. Probably, yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know how they got around because it's two. It'll be two movies, one next year too. So this is like kind of a part one, and it's directed. They're directed by Anthony and Joe Russo, the Russo brothers, who got started out on Arrested Development and Community, um, <laughs> and are now are now making the biggest blockbuster of all time. Uh, but they they did uh, Captain America Winter Soldier and Civil War, which I think might be my two favorite MCU movies. So uh, I have definitely have a lot of faith in this. Um, the trailer looks trailers have looked really good. I mean, I, I could list off who's in the movie, but uh, we have to end this podcast at some time. Uh, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's anticipating this. Like uh, I actually looked at some tickets to go see it and it comes out. April 27th. Yeah, tickets are on sale, everyone. So go out and get them if you're going yeah. to see it. That's uh, Avengers Infinity War, April 27th. April 27th. Go see it. Uh, all right, I got a movie on my list called Parasite. I don't think this is going to be on too many lists because it's lesser known. And honestly, it's slated for 2018. But I would be highly surprised if it came out in 2018. Uh, Parasite is, is another Junho Bong movie who's a director I'm a super fan of uh june hobong did okja the host uh snowpiercer memories of murder he's he's reuniting with kang ho song who is his frequent star and collaborator who was also in snowpiercer and the host and is kind of considered to be like his muse uh, i've heard so i really like when those two are together not a whole lot is known about the movie just i think the synopsis is that uh, a man is infected with a parasite and it changes his world in unforeseen ways that's Parasite. It's uh, listed as 2018. Look for it whenever it hits. I'm not sure when that's going to be, though. All right, so my next movie on the list is A Quiet Place. This one uh, was not on my list until like a month ago. It comes out uh, April 6th. This is uh, a movie that stars husband and wife duo John Krasinski and Emily Blunt. It is a horror thriller about a family of four that must navigate their lives in silence after mysterious creatures that hunt by sound threaten their survival. If they hear you, they hunt you. So that is the synopsis. The trailers have looked pretty amazing. Like, it's going to be interesting to see how this works because, you know, I don't think anyone talks. Like, they're not talking. They're using sign language. And when I first saw the, the tra- trailer, I was like, oh, this is an interesting, like, little little family drama about a a deaf family basically and then it took a turn to the right kind of remind me of uh what's that movie uh red eye oh yeah killian murphy that's the the greatest preview change in tonally in all of preview history yeah rachel mcadams it looks like it's gonna be a rom-com and it turns into like a (laughs) yeah horror thriller it was directed by wes craven so you should have seen that coming well i didn't say wes craven right away so i had no idea um, so anyways, this looks really good. It's actually directed by John Krasinski. Um, uh, be, so, be honest, Eric. Sorry to cut you off, but be honest. Are you most excited to see this movie because it looks like classic Shyamalan fare when he was at his best? Uh, you know, I never 
kind of put that together, but I think it looks like it has some similarities to signs. I mean, you can't ignore the fact that there is some yeah. things that remind you of signs. Yeah, you're right. I think one of the best parts of signs is the use of sound because you don't see the aliens for the longest time. And this one's going to be interesting because it's going to be little to no sound, but then they're going to use sound as a scare tactic kind of thing. I think, yeah, so I, I maybe that, that's why I'm lo- looking forward to this. But it's, uh, oh, it's produced by Michael Bay. Oh. Never mind. So never mind. <laughs> I I'd heard or read somewhere that one of the children in the movie is is actually deaf, and he Jim Krasinski, or excuse me, John Krasinski, yes. who plays Jim, cast an actual deaf child, which I thought was a really nice touch. Yeah, it is. Yep, I just read that here. That's the the little girl is actually deaf. Yeah, so I don't know. I'm looking forward to this. I, I you know I didn't really know about it, but then I saw the preview. I was like, man, this is really good. Uh, and then it got uh, rave reviews. I think at South by Southwest. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. It comes out in just a couple of weeks. Oh, yeah. So I have a similar genre movie to counter with, and that's The Predator, Shane Black's Predator remake, reboot, or soft reboot, whatever it's being classified as. This is a movie I'm excited to see. Under different circumstances, I don't know if I would be quite as excited to see it, but because Shane Black is involved, I think this has the potential to be good. It has one of the stranger casts assembled. Tom Jane, Keegan-Michael Key, the little kid from Room, Jacob Tremblay, Travante Rhodes, who played uh, the grown-up version of Chiron in Moonlight, Alfie Allen, better known as Theon Greyjoy, Yvonne Strahovski, who was on uh, Chuck and a few other things, Edward Edward James Olmos, and uh, Jake Busey rounds out a pretty weird cast. <laughs> I did um, not know about Jake Busey. Yeah, I, I really think this could be great. I mean, the obvious pros are Tom Jane uh, and Shane, Shane Black to a lesser extent, but right off the bat, Tom Jane. And then the obvious cons for the movie is there might be some scenes that Tom Jane isn't in, which really troubles me as a Tom Jane fan. Uh, <laughs> but I think if, if you've got maybe 90% Tom Jane to not Tom Jane ratio, uh, 90, 90 to 10, I, I think this will be a success. Well, what are your thoughts on The Predator, Eric? Yeah, I'm looking for it. I love, I love Shane Black. Uh, I think the cast is pretty good. So, yeah, I'm, I, I think the pre- I like the cast. Like it's diverse and it's you know unusual a little bit. Um, yeah. But I think what about uh, Tom Jane? I haven't heard a lot of Tom Jane talk from you. Oh, Tom Jane, that like that homeless looking guy. Hey, <laughs> uh, uh, you know he's okay. He's okay. I think his best role is in Arrested Development and or. Uh, Scott Pilgrim against the world. Otherwise, I, uh, I, oh, yeah. I do vegan, not... vegan police. Yeah, good call. All right. The Predator is due out September 14th, and hopefully it won't blow. Eric, back to you. All right. Uh, my next film is Incredibles 2, sequel to the 2004 film The Incredibles. It takes place immediately after the first film, and uh, it, that was my favorite Pixar movie. Uh, for the longest time, it's probably number two or three. I think I'd put up still at number one. But I loved Incredibles, and it's got everyone back. It's got um, Sam Sam Jackson's back as Frozone, and Edna Mode, who's voiced by the director writer Brad Bird. What about Craig T. So Nelson? Do we have Craig T. Nelson? Does it have it? Has, you know, Craig T. Nelson. Yes, of course. He's Mr. Incredible and Holly Hunter and Sarah Vowell. They only they did replace Dash is is the young son's uh, voice actor because the voice actor is no longer a little boy. 
Oh, I uh, thought maybe he was arrested like Jake Lloyd, but that that sounds less controversial. No, no yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to speak about uh, Spencer Fox, but he is. He was. The, he was the voice in the first film, and now some kid named Huck Milner. Only this one. Um, Do you the think other... it haunts that kid that he's being replaced? I mean, that. I don't know. He's got a Wikipedia link, so he is a American actor, singer, and musician. Um, he's currently the lead guitarist for the indie rock band Charlie Bliss. Oh, he's fine. So, then. He's in Charlie he's doing, Bliss, he's, whatever that yeah. is. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure the kids love it. So the other thing that's awesome about this movie was just kind of recently announced is that a couple of voice actors, Jonathan Banks and Bob Odenkirk, who are from Breaking Bad and uh, Better Call Saul, uh-huh. and uh, that's pretty awesome. I think one of them might be the uh, villain villain so yeah i'm uh that even uh increased my levels of anticipation uh, mm. just by hearing that so yeah that comes out june 15th incredibles 2 uh it's going to be awesome okay you heard it here first probably not but i'm saying it all the same all right well i have whew, this this is a big one this may be let's be honest this may be my most anticipated movie of 2018 i hate it do you know what it is <laughs> i have a feeling go ahead <laughs> I hope you don't hate it. I hope there's a part of you that, that can enjoy a movie like this. But maybe maybe it's gone, shaved away by, you know, the grind and being a responsible condo owner. But uh, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, okay, so that movie is The Meg. I think you were expecting this. And that's the giant shark movie starring Jason Statham. It's a, it's a Megalodon movie for those not familiar with the prehistoric great white shark that was the size of a school bus i believe so uh this no, movie bigger than that, right? uh yeah i don't know uh, maybe bigger than that but it's often described as as big as, as a school bus if if not bigger i mean our, our favorite spring break shark attack 3 uh version of the megalodon i think was like the size of like you know like a battleship or something <laughs> it was yeah it was uh, it was pretty great so this is a movie that's actually been in the works since the 90s if you'd believe it or not uh it's based on a book series i can believe that completely believe that really uh, and i mean like this particular story not just like a giant shark movie this is based on a book series that that i've actually read all of the books in uh by steve alton called the the meg series and it's it's about it has a reoccurring character who keeps clashing with this giant megalodon shark. But back in the 90s, Jean DeBont, who directed Speed, was supposed to uh, commandeer this movie, but they kept running into budget and like CG problems that just never never got it off the ground. I think Deep Blue Sea might have killed this movie after the reception of that. Yeah, this has been a movie that, that I've wanted to see because it sounds absurd, and I, and I love it. The book series reads a lot like a Michael Bay screenplay, which is just, like, great. The cast, also pretty diverse. Uh, you've got Jason Statham, Rain Wilson, a.k.a. Dwight from The Office. They're going hard after the Chinese market with Bing Bing Lee, who's a big Chinese actress. She was in the Transformers franchise recently, too. Ruby Rose, who's been plugged into a lot of franchises like john wick and triple x if if you caught triple x3 she i think was springboarded to fame from orange is the new black unless she had something big before yeah, that i didn't know about it was that i think okay and then one of my favorite actors uh, also cliff curtis yeah meg is uh due to be released august 10th there are zero trailers for it uh zero images from the movie right now if you go to the imdb page the, the picture they have up is the guy surfing on a wave with the shadow of a giant shark in the wave, which looks like it was made in Photoshop, like, in maybe, like, 
10 minutes. So a lot of uh, mystery surrounding this production, other than uh, I've heard like confirmation that it actually exists and it's coming out. But uh, yeah, I, I'd love to see what the trailer actually looks like for this movie. Uh, yep, that's probably all I'll see is the trailer. <laughs> but uh, I'm glad you're looking forward to that. That's good. That's good. You do like the shark movies. Yeah, I'm disappointed um, to hear that you may never give it a shot, though. Uh, I mean, with my luck, you'll probably want to review it in this podcast, so I'll have to watch it. But want to review it'll, it. <laughs> it'll be under protest if I do. Um, okay. Okay, cool. Well, let's follow that one up with Mission Impossible Fallout. Hmm. This is the sixth movie in the Mission Impossible franchise that I think has just gotten better with each one after After John two. Woo's? I think... So I think John Woo's is the worst. Then yeah. it goes like one, then like it's two at the bottom, then one, three, four, five. So this this is a little different in that it has the same director coming back from the fifth moon. Is that Christopher McCory? Corey, who's he's my boy. He uh, wrote my favorite movie, The Usual Suspects. Directed uh, kind of our one of our little uh, cult favorites in high oh, school, Way of the Gun. Uh, the Gun. That was kind of in like director's jail for a while. So I think he hooked he... up with Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise really loves Christopher Quarry, I've noticed. Oh, yeah, he calls him the Q. Oh, I didn't know uh, they the were Q. on nickname basis. Oh, yeah, yeah, There's a Q&A podcast. It's a really good podcast where they bring on directors and writers and talk about films that they wrote and how they how they did it. And uh, for Mission Impossible, the last Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation, McQuarrie was on there, and, and Tom Cruise, like, surprised everyone came on and joined. Oh. He's like, he, like, Tom Cruise, he, you know, crazy guy. Don't, you know, don't like him. But yeah, very personable. personable. Oh yeah, I mean, but he is like the biggest movie nerd. Like he he loves movies and he he knows what he's doing. And he, I think he's really good in all the movies he's in. Though I haven't seen the Mummy, so I can't comment on that. I listened to some podcasts where he was on and and exposed that he was a cinephile, and that quite surprised me too because I thought he was kind of a oblivious upper tier movie star that just kind of shows up to work and then goes home to his detached lifestyle. But I have to admit, Cruz knows his stuff to the point that uh, it makes him kind of endearing to me because he actively recruited Simon Pegg to Mission Impossible based off of Shaun of the Dead, which to me is something I never would have imagined was the reason that uh, Simon Pegg ended up in Mission Impossible. So stuff like that kind of endeared me a little bit more to Tom Cruise, even with his kind of rough edges, which they're pretty rough. Right. So... But you should listen to that podcast about Rogue Nation because he, he it really goes in deep on how how like uh, Macquarie and Cruz came together, and you know he he was basically a, uh, behind this he wrote Valkyrie, uh-huh. um, and then be, kind of became partners with him and and um, he, I think for Edge Edge of Tomorrow Tom Cruise brought him in to you know do some rewrites and they basically kind of had to fix a bunch of it. Uh, oh, so yeah. I think the Q man I kind of saved that movie, and I think he's he's probably done some ghostwriting on some of other Cruz's movies. Was so he involved in the Reacher movies at all? Like one or two of those scripts? Are they McQuarrie's? He well, that that's I think that's what happened after Edge of Tomorrow. He made he directed Jack Reacher oh. and wrote the first wrote and directed the first one, which I I really like. That's um, okay. I, I think that uh, you should rewatch that man. I don't know if you've rewatched it recently, but I think it's really well done. Uh, I, think, I really like it, and I love the the car chases too. Like it's it's like an old fashioned like seventies kind of a an action like 
cop kind of a thing. I, and, I worry uh, that that I, movie will win me over just because Werner Herzog is the villain and, and for no other reason. But uh, right. yeah, I don't know. Uh, go on. I'm sorry. Yeah, they've been kind of a partnership that's been going on since like Jack Reacher, Edge of Tomorrow. I think the, the men on the, pack, on the podcast, they mentioned how like Cruz was talking to someone about Mission Impossible while he was in the editing bay for like Edge of Tomorrow or Jack Reacher or something. And uh, and he was just like, oh, you know what? Why don't we just have McCory direct it? And then just like turn to McCory and just like, OK, you're directing Mission Impossible. <laughs> uh, so he's like, uh, OK. <laughs> So uh, anyway, I'm a big fan of that that Rogue Nation movie. I think that's great. So this is the first time that um, a director has come back, and it's uh, also the first time where you see like another one of the women in the movies have, are coming back. Uh, so his like ex or his wife, his ex-wife Michelle Monaghan's character is going to be back in this one, as well as Rebecca Ferguson, who is like the blow-up star from rogue nation like she killed yeah. it she was amazing and uh she's gonna be in this one as well which is great and it still has ving reams simon Pegg, alec baldwin and also has henry cavill who looks pretty awesome and he's uh got a mustache which caused some issues with reshoots in justice league yeah but well. uh but um yeah it looks really interesting and i even they're even bringing back the villain at least for a little bit from the last movie sean harris he was in the oh. trailer sean harris Better known as Angry Mohawk Guy from Prometheus. <laughs> yes. So I'm looking forward to this. I, I think each one of these movies is uh, just very entertaining. And they kind of do the whole uh, crew's doing a stunt thing that they kind of one-up it every time. Yeah, uh, breaking his ankle this time. this time. Yeah, and this time I think he's on a helicopter or something. So it should be uh, interesting. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. That comes out July 27th. Yeah, the trailer for this movie is pretty phenomenal. I'll, like, I'll admit when I saw it, I was like, this is a solid top-to-bottom trailer. All right, cool. Now, back to you for one more movie? Yeah, why don't we close it out? Uh, I'll just go real quick. We're running a little long. Uh, Fahrenheit 451, uh, the HBO adaptation, is the last on my list. This is my favorite book of all time, Ray Bradbury's sci-fi classic. So I'm obviously excited because there haven't been too many modern uh, adaptations of this. Michael B. Jordan and Michael Shannon are the the forefront of the cast, which is great because I love both of them. I've seen maybe a teaser for it, and it was kind of like, you know, one of those like, okay, I'm still a little hesitant or skeptical, but uh, I mean, just the possibility of this being good is, you know, really exciting to me and uh i'm looking forward to it may 2018 i believe is the release date that what these comes out in may i didn't know it was coming out so soon that's the listed release date when i checked and they dropped a teaser a week or two ago so i i think that's nice. correct it might be wrong though okay cool yeah i think that looks like that's right yeah, I think that uh, rounds out our list. I think we had more, but we just wanted to cut it for time. Um, yeah, well, so, okay, yeah. so we have a quick Eric challenge uh, lined up, which is our trivia round. Uh, this will not count towards Sam versus Eric scores since Sam is not here. All right, Eric, are you ready for today's Eric challenge? Okay, yeah, go for it. Question one. What are the six numbers that frequently appear to characters on the TV show Lost, and what were the numbers eventually revealed to signify? <laughs> 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. Damn. Okay. What does uh, that signify? They, uh, I mean, that's a tough question. Uh, there's a um, sp- specific answer. Don't give me anything broad. Okay. Well, there are the numbers on the side of the hatch, but it's 
also still like eventual significance beyond appearing randomly uh, I don't think it was random I think they were used for uh, like um, uh, mathematical science experiments but that's that's all I got okay interesting all right I thought hmm. you know I thought you were a lost heavy hitter uh, I'm not saying you got it wrong but I'm, I'm clearly hinting at that uh, but question next two. question please <laughs> question two. What famous Star Wars actor starred in 1957's Best Picture winner, Bridge on the River Kwai? Alec Guinness. Okay. Uh, question three. Before his death, well-known supporting actor Bill Paxton directed two movies in his career, one in 2001 and the other in 2005. Name one of these two movies. Good. I can't. I don't think I can name the second one, but it's uh, Frailty. Oh, wow. You remember Frailty. Good for you. Question four. Steven Spielberg's upcoming film, Ready Player One, is based on author Ernest Cline's 2011 book of the same name. Cline only has one other film credit to his name for writing what 2009 comedy movie? I just read about this. Uh, fanboys. Ooh, okay. Question five. Name a movie where Jet Li plays a villain. Uh, I think this will count. The One. Okay. I'm going to jump ahead and tell you it will count, and that's a good catch. So, nice answer. Question six. In Coming to America, what is the name of the McDonald's knockoff Eddie Murphy's character Akeem works at? Uh, burgers and stuff. Okay, that's clearly the wrong answer. Uh, question <laughs> seven. Uh, what ship did Quint serve on in World War II that was famously torpedoed? Uh, okay, moving on. I didn't even get to name Jaws. God damn it. <laughs> um, question eight. What freaks and geeks... Star co-wrote the screenplay for Horrible Bosses in Spider-Man Homecoming and directed the recently released Game Night. Oh. Um, I just looked this up because I didn't oh, know he... Uh, wow. Freaks, Freaks and Geeks character. Right. I actor. said that. You're just repeating stuff to he's, stall. Yeah, sh- sh- <laughs> he's, the main, he's the main kid. Uh, I can't remember his name. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, way to know it but not know it. Yep. Question nine. In a 100-meter race on land, what would win? A rattlesnake, an alligator, a killer bee, a polar bear, or Nicolas Cage? Nicolas Cage <laughs> is, is subbing for the average human sprinting speed in this case. Okay. Um, a killer... Uh, I'll give you it again. A rattlesnake, yeah. an alligator, a killer bee, a polar bear, or Nicolas Cage? It's on land, and the killer bee can fly. It doesn't need to, like, crawl. <laughs> um... I'll go with polar bear. Okay. Question 10. If no one can hear you scream in space, is that the best place to attend a Creed concert? <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. Interesting. That rounds out your 10 questions. Let's go back and see how you did. All right. Question one. Wow. Eric, you missed a lost question. I didn't think this would happen. And, I, and I'm kind of like shaken that you missed this one because I, I thought for sure you'd get this one. Admittedly, I didn't know the answer myself until I read it, but still a little surprising. What is it? What is it? Sorry, I had to take a drink of water. All right, so <laughs> you know it's a it's a big moment. Uh, I'm parched. Uh, all right, what were the last numbers? Four, eight, fifteen, sixteen, twenty-three, forty-two. You nailed those. Like credit credit to you. I assume you have those tattooed on the inside of your wrist or something. Um, <laughs> But what did they signify? You said there was some sort of mathematical equation, which was really, really broad, if we're being honest. But okay. In Lost, Jacob and his brother, the man in black, lived on the island for over 2,000 years. 
During this time, the two engaged in a rivalry over the nature of humanity. Jacob brought people to the island in order to test them and prove his view right. However, when it became clear that his brother planned to kill him, Jacob had a new reason to summon castaways to protect the heart of the island after his death and to kill the man in black. Before drawing these candidates, Jack Jacob oh. observed these oh candidates using a lighthouse. The lighthouse mirror displayed a different candidate's life when each degree that the dial was turned, the numbers 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42 corresponded with what turned out to be the final six candidates. Number four was John Locke, uh, 8 was Hurley, 15 Sawyer, 16 Saeed, 23 Jack, uh, 42 Sun. So they were the uh, degrees on the dial that turned the lighthouse mirror. That's, yeah, okay, so... No, what, I, what? I think I can, I'm gonna I'm gonna argue here. Okay, he had he had a bunch of number characters, including like, like people that were not uh, were that were part of the show and then died or whatever their names are crossed off. So they were just the ones that were left were four, eight, fifteen, sixteen, twenty-three, forty-two. But that that's not what the numbers mean. Like those are just like special numbers that are used throughout the show. Like they, they always show up and the, so you're the Dharma Initiative were. That this is not the final significance of these numbers? Uh, ye, kinda, yeah, yeah, I am. Like, I don't think, I don't think because the sun was forty-two that the number forty-two showed up in the rest of the show because of that. I think it was the inverse that she was one of the candidates, and and of course one of the the last six were numbered four, eight, fifteen, six, twenty-three, forty-two. So, this, I think it's the. I think it's it sounds the other like way, but, a rambling filibuster to confuse me. Uh, I think it's just the inverse. Like then those numbers are special in general, and I don't think it's because, like, I don't think because they were numbered four through forty-two that that's why those numbers were put on the side of the hatch or uh, announced in the um, in the broadcast or anything like that, or why Hurley played those numbers uh, in the lottery. Uh, like I think right, those are well, just. I'm going to log this as under protest, but I don't know if I necessarily <laughs> agree with you. We'll send this upstairs to whoever's upstairs, like Sam or someone, and, and have someone rule on it. Um, no, I want an impartial judge. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. For my please. appeal. All right, we'll give it to, we'll pass it to Liz or, or someone <laughs> who will who will judge fairly. Okay, question one yeah. is uh, up in the air then. You at least got half of the question right. <laughs> Moving on. Question two, the uh, Star Wars actor in Bridge Over the Requi, you said Alec Guinness. You were correct. Alec Guinness is often credited with being a significant part of what made Star Wars a success, not only for lending gravitas to his character, but for elevating the other performances. Uh, it was said that Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford thought the movie was going to be a disaster and didn't take it seriously until Alec Guinness showed up on set. And after that day, they were in such awe of him that they actually started trying. So Guinness's presence lent uh, Star Wars credibility on a number of levels. You were correct, though. So at least uh, one for two or one out of one. Question three, Bill Paxton's directorial career. You said Frailty, correct? Yes. You were right. Frailty is one of the two movies he directed. Frailty is a little-known but solid horror thriller starring Paxton and Matthew McConaughey which is strangely enough happens to be one of Method Man's favorite movies of all time, in case you didn't know. Um, Interesting. Yeah, he put it on his Rotten Tomatoes top five movies when they have uh, celebrities weigh in on that. Um, the other movie directed was The Greatest Game Ever Played, the golf movie starring oh, right. Shia LaBeouf, which I didn't know he directed until doing that bit of research. Yes, yeah, so you got that one correct. Question four, Ernest Klein's other writing credit. You said Fanboys? Yes. You were correct. 
All right. Question five. Jet Li playing a villain. You said the one. You were correct. I, I will count that. He he plays multiple roles in the movie, and some of them are antagonists. So absolutely, that counts. Other acceptable answers. Lethal Weapon 4, the first time he played a villain. Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, and War uh, with Jason Statham were other possible answers. Strangely enough, he's only played villains in Hollywood movies. In his home country of China, I don't believe he's played a villain. Question six, coming to America, the McDonald's knockoff, you said burgers and something? I've only seen parts of the movie, never seen the full movie. Really? Wow. Okay. The McDonald's knockoff is actually called McDowell's, and it's named after the the dad, Cleo McDowell, who is the father of Lisa McDowell, who is the uh, love interest of a, of Eddie Murphy's character. Okay, didn't know you hadn't seen that, uh, but you should, you should definitely watch. It's good. Actually, hold on. A little side story here. Sure. I, uh, I, you know, I've never seen the movie, but I have this vivid memory of, of tennis practice tennis practice oh, in high school. I was thinking about the, this while, the, the while coach, putting this question together. The coach, uh, you know, yelled out, uh, okay, we're going to do some, like, uh, running around the court, I guess, like a little uh, end of practice run or something. Um, and he said, but if you know the answer to this trivia question, you do not have to run. And he said, what, what this, the line, what's the line that starts the movie? Welcome to... Uh, it's a beautiful day in. Oh, beautiful day in. Where it's a it's a made up country. Uh, yeah, wherever the country that they're from, it's a beautiful day in blah blah blah, and uh, that was it. It was like me and a few friends and Connor, and Connor immediately just walks away from her friends to go tell the coach uh, the answer, whispers it to him, and then doesn't get to run. And the rest of his friends, who he was standing next to. When he uh, got the question, he decided not to tell, uh, and the rest of us had to run. Oh, uh, man. So I don't know why, try. but that, that is my that is the old, my main connection to the movie Coming to America is that story right there. Well, maybe you should have watched the movie after that so you wouldn't have to run laps. <laughs> well, I don't think it'll happen again. I just uh, hope I'm around someone that knows it and then would like to tell me the answer. Well, this is all this is uh, the story. So I don't have to run as well. This is this is being cut from the podcast because it portrays me in an ill light. <laughs> I'll I'll put it in a, 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 a my own podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, deep cuts from mandatory reshoots. There you go. Uh, no, we'll we'll definitely keep that story. I like that story because it shows that I'm better than you at coming to America trivia. trivia. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, but better... if I knew it, I feel like I would have just turned to my left and said, "Hey, it's coming to America," and then we all could have just left practice together. Um, See, nope, you would, that's not what happened. You would think that, but you had a reputation for withholding answers too in physics class. So it's like, ah, I don't know. Well, that was for that was for your greater good, so you mm. could learn on your own and, and know. Whereas running around a court, that doesn't. That doesn't sounds like another rambling filibuster to waste time. Um, nope. Well, let's let's agree to disagree. But I do like that story. I was thinking of that while uh, coming up with that question. And I assumed you had watched the movie since then to correct that kind of glaring. No, I kind of don't want to in spite of you. Okay, I ruined uh, that movie for Eric. (laughs) Question seven. uh, What ship did Quint serve on in Jaws? It is the USS Indianapolis. Eric was right on top of that one. The USS Indianapolis was a Portland-class heavy cruiser torpedoed by a Japanese sub on July 30th, 1945, 
and what followed led to the greatest single loss of life at sea from a single ship in the history of the U.S. Navy. There were 1,196 sailors on board. 300 of them went down with the ship. Of the remaining 900 who made it out of the ship, only 317 survived the four-day ordeal in the water where they were plagued by exposure, dehydration, saltwater poisoning, and shark attacks, all of which was detailed by Robert Shaw's character Quint in Jaws when he tells the story while comparing scars with Richard Dreyfus. Eric, you got that one right. Question eight. Yes, I did. Freaks and Geeks co-star. Um, <sighs> it's John Francis Daly who was the name you were looking for. He played the title character of Sam Weir on Freaks and Geeks and has since gone on to write Horrible Bosses, Spider-Man Homecoming, Horrible Bosses 2, and directed the uh, recent release Game Night, which actually I heard was better than you would expect. Yeah, I heard good things. I wanted to go see it. Yeah. Question nine, the land race question. You answered polar bear? Yes. You would be correct. Polar bears can run 20 miles per hour, which is the top speed of all the animals listed. Rattlesnakes' top speed is 3 miles per hour. Alligators, 11 miles per hour. Nicholas Cage, we would estimate at 8.8 miles per hour. Killer bee at 12, and as I said, polar bear at 20. So polar bear is really going to just... Wait a minute. What? Running? This is running? Correct. What what are you questioning? Uh, uh, A human being runs faster than 8 miles an hour, though. This is the average sprinting speed. I forget what Usain Bolt's top speed is. It's like 25 miles an hour, I thought. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. Well, maybe that information is... But I'm uh, right. I'm right, so I don't protest. Let's yeah, what, what are you doing? You're trying to work yourself out of it. I, I still think well, Polar Bear would would take in terms of average speed. So the Usain Bolt of Polar Bears is probably in the 30s for all we know. Uh, uh, you know, who knows? Question 10. If no one can hear you scream in space, is it the best place to attend a Creed concert? You said yes. Unfortunately, the answer is no, because you're still at a Creed concert, but I appreciate your effort on the question. Well, hold on a second. Yes. So there is the, the hypothetical, <laughs> where's the best place to see a Creed concert? There's nowhere. The, the question is laced with the... Uh, with the, 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 the laced with the scenario In which you have to go to a concert and listen to Creed, where would the best place be for a Creed concert? If I had said no... What, what would you would I be right? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think you could get this question right, Eric. Uh, I'd understand no. <laughs> this apprehension if this was a, an official round versus Sam and you were losing ground. But uh, that's why we, you know, threw some Creed curveballs in there. And um, I'll let you ponder on what the right answer would have been. Uh, I think that is actually the right answer. Like, I this is nothing I've ever thought of before. But if you have to, <laughs> if you have to be at a Creed concert, I think the best place to be is space, um, because uh, if you don't have a suit on, you're dead. Mm. Um, if you're not in the same spaceship as them or whatever, you can't hear them. Music uh, sound doesn't travel. Um, and then, like worst case scenario, if you do have to listen to them, you're still in space, which is awesome. All right. Well, you know what? We're hold on a second. We're gonna go to the judges. Uh, let me look over my my shoulder. Yeah, yep. they, they decided to agree with you. These you, you broke it down and gave some great points. We're we're gonna actually give you this answer. Uh, That's great. That's this is a little inside baseball that you're uh, kind of telling our listeners that you actually have the judges in the room with you. <laughs> um, I oh, hope yeah. that's not uh, you know you you want to show them how the sausage is made you know. But uh, I, I hope that uh, people are cool with the. 
that whole process with the judges that are sitting right behind you for some reason. Well, again, that's the beauty of this being a podcast. I can just cut this all out. <laughs> all right. Uh, Don't. Stop cutting things. No, uh, we'll, we'll keep that in there because it's a, it's a nice little snippet into how this show gets made. And <laughs> it, the answer is very sloppily and uh, <laughs> not with great precision. Okay, let's uh, quickly give you uh, – let's go through it. Uh, what what uh, Do you know how you scored, Eric, other than the first question in protest? Uh, there's so many questions in protest. I, uh, I, think, I think I maybe got six. Uh, but I'm not 100 percent sure. We'll have really? to. Uh, re- I felt like you did a seven out of ten. I'm gonna give you a seven out of ten because I don't okay. feel like you gave a six out of ten effort. Like I, I feel like you gave it. Uh, no, the most effort I gave was arguing that my answers were right. Uh, yeah, when were. like you really um, put some passion into that, and uh, I feel like you did a pretty good job. In fact, as I look I back, felt at slighted, it, so I had to fight back. Well, in fact, what you got better than that? Uh, I mean, you got. Two, three, four, five, seven, uh, nine correct at the very least. Uh, one, two, three, four. Yeah, okay. So I'll give you a <laughs> uh, I guess it works out. Seven out of ten. What results, Eric? That wraps up this episode of Mandatory Reshoots. Thanks uh, for tuning in, everyone. Appreciate you following along for the trivia round and the hijinks occurred in that round that was a pretty messy round i'll I'll admit we should be back with our robocop review hopefully in the next week and until then goodbye to the listening audience good night and good luck